we know as emergency managers that disasters often disproportionately impact underserved communities. But it was really right in front of us during COVID-19 and not just in one small area across the country, we saw the disproportionate impact that it was having on communities everywhere across this nation. And I think that's really what was driving the whole focus around equity is how do we better understand the barriers that communities have or individuals have in receiving assistance after they experience a disaster? That was FEMA Administrator Deanne Criswell a few weeks ago talking about goal one of FEMA's new strategic plan. This is Before, During, and After, a podcast from FEMA for emergency managers. Today, FEMA is facing an evolving landscape in the field of emergency management. And FEMA's new strategic plan positions us to embrace, address, and adapt to historic changes, but also our expanding role as an agency and as emergency managers. Because of our experiences in countless disasters, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, fires, and then recently throughout the COVID-19 response, we know that a community's history, culture, racial composition, and economic status all influence its ability to access preparedness, mitigation, and recovery services. We also know that historically underserved communities are disproportionately affected by the impact of disasters. This includes communities of color, older adults, people with language barriers, people with disabilities, people experiencing economic hardship, and those living in rural communities. Because of that, FEMA is taking up the mantle of reducing barriers and increasing access to our services, and we are doing it with a people-first approach. On this episode, we take a deep dive into strategic goal one, instilling equity as a foundation of emergency management. We'll talk with Associate Administrator Ann Bink about how FEMA is continually and deliberately choosing to use an equity lens in everything that we do. I'm privileged to uh, be talking to Associate Administrator Ann Bink. Thank you so much for joining uh, the FEMA podcast. Uh, and I wonder, before we get started talking about strategic plan, goal one, um, all about equity, let's just talk about your background and how you came to FEMA. Sure. I'd love to. And thank you for having me today. This is great. Uh, so my education uh, at the master's level is in social work. So I started my career with uh, direct services uh, in the nonprofit sector uh, and then quickly pivoted to uh, New York State government and policy. Um, so I worked in the human services uh, portion of the division of budget, which is the New York State uh, version of uh, the finance and policy uh, component. So worked worked there and then moved uh, into the public safety space over time. Uh, and in that public safety space was uh, disaster recovery and response, uh, which I was uh, very drawn to uh, and ultimately moved uh, into state agency work, uh, the Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services uh, for New York State, uh, and took on a role there uh, looking at preparedness, the financing of it, and also the policy around it, and also the practical impl implementation of it. 
and uh, most recently for the past uh, several years worked in disaster recovery for New York State. So uh, worked very closely with response counterparts uh, as well in that role, uh, but really bring that, you know, kind of viewpoint of my education to the work I do. So that social work degree has, has helped uh, navigate uh, throughout my career, but really as it relates now to the specific work I'm doing here at FEMA, it's, uh, it's been very useful. You know, that's so interesting. We have actually have a lot of um, uh, individuals who, who have a social work background, especially in our individual assistance program, as you know. Um, and I just wonder, you know, in your background with the state, what are some examples of things that uh, that social work? Well, it's a great nexus between social work, the discipline of social work, and then emergency management. You're sort of seeking out resources, right? Uh, where has that played out in your career? I think it's played out in various venues. When you when you talk about the work we do here at FEMA and the work I did at the state level in recovery, you know, many of those interactions are are one on one. You're you're on the doorstep of survivors and really talking with them on one of their most difficult days. And, you know, part of the education of social work is talking about trauma and how to intervene in a trauma-informed way to ensure that, you know, you're really thinking about the person as a whole, their physical recovery and their recovery when it comes to mental health too. You know, the definition of trauma is that it overwhelms your coping mechanisms, it's unexpected, and it's life-threatening, either literally or figuratively, meaning there's some threat to, the, to your life as you've known it. Um, and really, when you take that approach to the work, especially that we do in individual assistance, I think it changes the entire lens of how we complete that work, right? What does it look like to meet our survivors where they're at and to really help carry them forward into their long-term recovery? Absolutely. And I think... You know, that's a great uh, start for the conversation that we're going to have about the new strategic plan and how we've identified these three main goals. And we're ultimately going to talk about each one of the goals um, on separate episodes. But today we really want to talk about how we're meeting um, disaster survivors, where they are. Um, and so we want to dive into goal one, instilling equity as a foundation of emergency management. And so, you know, knowing that you are joining FEMA, having previously worked at the state of New York, um, and then as a person who's worked with FEMA as a grantee, you know, tell me about how you see FEMA instilling equity into emergency management on that macro level. Yeah. So I can, I can say from the state perspective and my work in the, in the role as grantee, uh, it has been a focus, and it's been a continued focus of of my work in the state of New York in general. Um, so when there was a renewed focus by FEMA when it came to the COVID-19 disaster and the proactive efforts around vaccination work, um, the, you know, the state was very much in sync and aligned with that approach. And so was I uh, from a personal perspective. Um, so that work is always the thread through what we do. And I think the strategic plan now really lifts that up in a way that's systematic and structural so that the state that has the focus of equity in mind can enhance those efforts. And maybe some of the grantees and, and the states that haven't had equity at the forefront of their mind and their interventions, both through public assistance, individual assistance and our response efforts you know, can now think about that differently. So I think there's been a real shift in emergency management from 
you know, kind of a passive non-discrimination posture to really how do we take all the tools and the steer that we have at the national level to really drive those interventions to make sure that we're uh, really addressing the most vulnerable communities first after an incident. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I think the idea, just having been with the agency for uh, a while now, the idea of equity isn't necessarily new to FEMA. Um, You know, the Stafford Act obviously requires us to treat everyone equally, but, you know, that that doesn't always mean that equal treatment results in equitable outcomes. And so this strategic plan, since it's been released, I, I think we've, uh, we've begun to frame all of our actions in, um, in looking at things through an equity lens. So I wonder if you could talk about what that means to us as we look at our programs. Absolutely. You know, given my focus, my interest, education, and role as a, as a leader and really driving not only the operational component, but really the the policy and the, the financing component of uh, disaster response and recovery. I think there's a lot we can do to lift up the practices that already exist in the field. So meaning when we talk here at headquarters to our field leadership, when we speak to the reservists that are doing the work on the ground, they've had equity in mind all along. And they've done a lot of that work to meet the most vulnerable where they are after a storm to make sure that they're getting what they need to really enable that long-term recovery. And really with the trauma focus too. Uh, I think I think what we can do here in headquarters and what the administrator has done through the strategic plan as has is really to provide that that forum and that venue to lift up those best practices and really uh, spread them nationally, systemically across the board. So one example is the Kentucky tornadoes that um, devastated Mayfield and other areas of Kentucky in mid-December, this past December. Uh, One of our deputy FCOs under uh, FCO, meaning field coordinating officer, um, really looked at how do we intervene on private property debris removal, which maybe sounds like a dry topic, But what she did is she looked at vulnerability at the community level and overlaid where uh, debris was greatest uh, for for homeowners and and renters and occupants in Mayfield and really used that data to make sure that those debris removal efforts were prioritized in the most vulnerable communities. That not only has the the benefit of physical uh, rebuilding and recovery, but it also has a mental health uh, aspect to it, too. You've seen devastation. Uh, your your communities are impacted. Your family may be impacted. And seeing that debris removed really helps from a mental health perspective as well. So how do we take those types of interventions, lift them up, and make them systematic? Um, also, I think the renewed focus on equity really really speaks to, like you said, what FEMA has has always wanted to do in partnership with states and locals, which is to um, really meet survivors where they're at. I think now um, with with the strategic plan, it's driving all efforts, small and large, which have impacts across the board. So if I were a, um, a local or county emergency manager, and maybe I've, you know, never had a disaster that has risen to the level of a, you know, a federal disaster declaration where FEMA, you know, has been called upon to come in, um, what should I be doing 
to start getting ready? Um, or maybe how should I understand this focus on equity that the agency is going to have when um, or if we do come to support them at their local, you know, in their local um, disaster recovery? Yeah, I, I think what FEMA does remarkably well, the state and local emergency managers, is bring together their partners, right? The voluntary agencies that assist survivors after an incident, uh, the other counterparts within local, state, and federal government that support uh, the most vulnerable during uh, sunny sky days, right? I think a lot of that work is critical uh, to do ahead of time to prepare for potential interventions when disaster strikes. Part of that, too, is really understanding what are the risks, what are the underlying risks toward uh, to your community uh, as a local emergency manager, and how does that overlay with vulnerability, right? There, it's no secret that in many cases, the most vulnerable are most impacted by incidents, some of which is, you know, folks who cannot afford to get out of the floodplain may live in the floodplain, right? And those areas will be more impacted in hurricane-type events. Those are the kinds of things that we we really want to continue to discuss with our state and local partners uh, before an incident occurs. So those interventions are already uh, really thought through before an incident occurs. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the concerns that I think is often raised by small rural uh, and historically disadvantaged communities is sort of the lack of capacity to meet um, the demands of uh, federal requirements after a disaster. Um, and so are you thinking through or have we already um, started to build systems um, that are there in addition to, you know, sort of maybe the regular tools that we have of technical assistance to help these communities um, think through equity in their recovery? Yes, we we are using the strategic plans focus with equity as as the number one goal to really drive all of our strategic planning and initiatives within the Office of Response and Recovery. You know, that looks like a lot of different things. It looks like how do we improve our individual assistance program, which provides direct assistance to survivors after an incident, to make sure we're meeting the mark, that we're getting assistance there earlier, that we're getting it there more comprehensively, that we're doing everything we can to bring those programs to the doorstep of survivors. And that's, to your point, something we've done, but we know there's areas to improve. One example is a sprint that was undertaken over the summer to really look at changes to policy and practice that could drive uh, favorable outcomes for our survivors uh, after an incident is related to ownership and occupancy documentation. Those, Eligible documentation was expanded, uh, which allowed more than 80,000 survivors since August to receive cash assistance to recover where they otherwise wouldn't. That's just one example of meeting survivors where they're at and figuring out ways to make sure our programs meet the needs of the individuals and the communities that are impacted. So I think um, one of the one of the highest profile examples of how we've seen equity play out um, in in the way that we conduct our operations might be the our support to the COVID nineteen community vaccination centers, which I know that you know very well um, from your background prior to coming to FEMA. But the the CVC mission, um, I wonder if you could talk about some of the ways that equity played out between FEMA and our state partners um, and the communities not just in our decision-making, 
but but also just really how it um it, it transformed the way that we were working to deliver vaccines within a community. Absolutely. First, I want to say that I think the the CVC mission really provided an opportunity to think about how equity can be implemented at the tactical level uh, across incidents. And I say that because I had heard uh, throughout my career that how do you can't tell where a storm's going to go. You do not know where it's going to hit. So how can you, um, you know, have a response that's equitable, right? Because the storm in and of itself may not be. But the truth is, this work allows us to start thinking about when it hits, how how we respond in a way that prioritizes the most vulnerable. So I think the CVC mission, uh, being proactive in nature versus responsive, which is what a lot of the initial response and recovery efforts are, gave us the opportunity and gave us the ability as states and I think local partners as well to really see how we can proactively uh, apply equity in principle to to uh, an implementation effort. So because it was national, I think it's also very meaningful. So in New York, uh, with state-run vaccination centers that are to be reimbursed or are reimbursed by FEMA, as well as the vaccination centers that were FEMA administered, all of that work really occurred with how do we maximize the location of those CVC centers to put them in the most vulnerable communities, to place them there so we can get shots in arms in the most equitable way and in a way that provides an avenue to it where it wouldn't otherwise exist. I think the CVC effort writ large has been incredible. Uh, there's been over 5.6 million doses um, through that effort uh, for the FEMA-administered portion, more than 58% of those going uh, to communities of color. That is equity in action. And even though you know, that is a proactive step. We decided where vaccination centers were gonna, going to go. It wasn't in response to a weather incident. Those same principles apply. And I think it opened up the imagination of state and local and federal partners in how equity can be applied. One of the ways during this, the community vaccination center mission, uh, we understood underserved communities uh, was through the social vulnerability index. And it played a big role in our decision-making as to where to place the CVCs um, in working with our state partners. So the CVC, the Social Vulnerability Index, we know is sort of a health-oriented construct. How do you see us maybe continuing to use that index or using other data sets in, um, in our decision-making as we advance equity in our disasters? Social vulnerability is a very important tool that we are using in our response and recovery efforts writ large. It is at the census tract, which provides a level of, of granularity that's very important when we talk about community level impacts and how our public assistance and individual assistance programs uh, are, are administered. So that is one tool. We use that throughout um, all of our programs, but I think the most important thing is that there are other tools out there and that the definitions and the tools we use in response and recovery start to interact with the tools we use in resilience and other areas of FEMA that we can then 
really drive outcomes and drive an under an understanding across our programs for what vulnerability means, for what equity means uh, when we're talking about uh, the disaster uh, management and recovery space. So what we really want to do is lift up those definitions, streamline them, and really start to drive resources and interventions to the communities that are identified through that work. Uh, I think the work of equity, if it lives in the theoretical, has failed. It has to live in the tactical. We we at headquarters are charged under the leadership of the administrator to take all the tools we have and to take the definitions that exist and bring those together to make sure whether your community is looking to uh, an acquisitions project in hazard mitigation pre-disaster or debris removal. Uh, we really want to we really want those definitions to be streamlined so that we're all speaking with one voice and the interventions uh, across programs align. I think that's so important to remember that, um, you know, FEMA is far more than just our recovery, our disaster recovery programs, but all of the grants that we administer. And it's not just about instilling equity in our recovery programs, but all of all of the preparedness grants and mitigation grants. But I, I do want to come back to one of the things that you mentioned already, the equity sprint and the changes that we've made in individual assistance specifically. Um, I know you mentioned about the documentation of ownership changes that we have done, but what other um, changes have we made in individual assistance to address equity? Yes. We've also looked at the direct housing uh, referral process. So that's that's a process within the individual assistance program where housing is not available for a survivor. How do we provide them with temporary housing through various means to ensure that their recovery can continue? Uh, that program, the eligibility used to be related to a flat amount of damage per, per home, $17,000 per home. Um, that's by definition regressive because if you have a smaller home, uh, that may have incurred significant damage that um, relates to habitability, you may not have been eligible for a, a temporary housing solution that would have otherwise been uh, available to a higher income survivor. That's now been changed to $12 per square foot. So, you know, regardless of the size of a home, the, the damage is now scaled so that any survivor um, who meets that square footage dollar amount can then be referred. So that's that's resulted in thousands of additional survivors having access to those critical programs that relate to the recovery. Um, we've also worked in the interagency space. We've worked with SBA, the Small Business Administration, uh, to increase the income threshold that would trigger a referral uh, for a survivor to access loans for certain uh, categories of assistance. We've increased that threshold so that more survivors are eligible to receive cash assistance automatically without being pushed uh, to another agency. That's resulted in tens of millions of dollars to thousands of survivors uh, as well. So that's just the start. Uh, we've also uh, worked with our uh, regional counterparts within FEMA. We're working with our state and local partners we're working directly with survivors to do listening sessions to determine how we can continue to improve our programs and how we can enable that seamless journey into long-term recovery for survivors. There's there's work that to go. There's no doubt there are additional steps we need to take, 
But what I can say is, is the team, uh, including our, our field leadership uh, that are co-located with us on some of these critical projects, um, have equity at the forefront uh, at all of the intervent, uh, you know, as it relates to all uh, potential interventions. So I'm very excited about that work. I think the, the process itself for how we're undertaking our initiatives across individual assistance, public assistance, response recovery and logistics are also by definition more equitable because we're taking time up front to bring in every voice and bring in all of our counterparts across the enterprise to ensure that they're heard. It doesn't mean everything uh, identified can be solved immediately, but what it does mean is that folks know that we've taken into account their point of view and what they believe to be the most important, especially those that directly uh, receive our services. So you mentioned the team here within FEMA as we look towards equity, but this is a focus for the administration. And so I wondered if you could start by, start us off by talking about that larger team, the interagency, and how Justice 40 plays into um, our equity mission here at FEMA. Yeah, Justice 40 and the goals within it to to provide at least 40% of the benefit to underserved communities related to uh, finance or, or granted programs, uh, it is critical. You know, like I mentioned, had mentioned earlier, you know, the fact that a lot of the work in our space is re- reactive by definition, how do we build those opportunities to take that reactive posture and flip it into a proactive and, uh, more climate resilient focused outcome, which also is related to equity. So one of the ways we're we're looking to do that is, again, bringing in our field leadership and our field teams to talk about how they leverage these incidents um, and the establishment of a joint field office with our state and local partners to enhance the opportunities and build projects for public assistance that include hazard mitigation. Uh, it's called 406 mitigation. It, it It's really instead of pre-disaster resilience work uh, and building back in a way that will prevent against future damage, it's taking uh, you know infrastructure that has been impacted by an incident and uh, hardening it, making it more resilient going forward as we know we're, we're facing climate uh, challenges. That's, that's a resilience issue. That's the second goal in the strategic plan, but it's also an equity issue, right? Because this is an opportunity where 75 cents on the dollar for those key resilience actions can be reimbursed by FEMA. So we're taking that and we're elevating those practices and we really want to expand those things like bringing out our mitigation uh, teams on the PDA, on the preliminary damage assessment day one. So they're talking with applicants before they even develop projects about what those opportunities are. It's thinking through what policy changes we can make here at headquarters to further incentivize that uh, hazard mitigation work uh, when building back infrastructure. We know that uh, $6 for every dollar spent on mitigation is, is benefited to that community. So how do we take that? How do we take that work and apply it to those communities and those applicants that are the most vulnerable to really start to harden the infrastructure? Uh, We're also doing that uh, with individuals and homes through the individual assistance program as well uh, and reimbursing mitigation work, such as lifting HVAC systems off a basement floor 
uh, backflow preventers, things like that, um, to ensure that we're also making homes more resilient as well. I think we all recognize that FEMA is really better able to serve the, the diverse needs of all of the communities across the country when our leadership and our staff reflect um, the people that we serve. And so um, knowing that you uh, oversee um, really the workforce that is out there um, working directly with the communities um, after a disaster in response to and then uh, during the recovery of a disaster, how are we ensuring that the workforce reflects our communities? There's several things we're doing. We're really looking to ensure that no matter who our workforce is and where they come from, that they are aware of and live the 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 focus on equity in the field. And I think our our field largely does that. There's other things we can do to continue to diversify diversify the workforce as well. Uh, we're making outreach to historically black colleges and universities uh, for recruitment efforts. We are leveraging the opportunity to hire locally when a disaster strikes. So by definition, you have the uh, you know competency in that community because you're from that community. And, and that's really an opportunity as well to recruit for the long term. You know, the folks that do the work of response and recovery and they, they do that work in the field are, are some of the most dedicated uh, individuals I've ever met. And that's true for local, state and uh, federal levels. I think this work is a career, but it's also a calling. And I think using the local hire process to, to start to bring in folks that can be uh, passionate about this work only, only really aids to strengthen the agency and overall response to incidents in the future. So the strategic plan covers four years, 22 to 26. And so uh, with, with regard to goal one, instilling equity in emergency management, what, what does the field look like in four years? In four years, success in equity looks like lifting up those best practices in the field and systematically providing those tools, that knowledge, that focus, uh, and that, you know, steer to really implement equity in everything we do uh, as far as our, our response and recovery efforts. So that looks like uh, very targeted tactical interventions that then prioritize the most vulnerable communities after an incident and after disaster strikes. That's success, not a one size fits all. It cannot be a top down approach, right? If, if, if at the national level, we think we know what equity looks like, I can tell you on the ground we'll be wrong, right? It's, it's a very much a community based approach. So it's providing the, the vision providing the tools. It's providing the flexibility to really go out there, take risks and, and do what we can to intervene uh, where it's needed most. So one of the things we're working on here is how do we lift up the voices of the field and those best practices to then, you know, make sure that they're known across the enterprise that everywhere uh, we go, every joint field office we set up, we're being partners with our state, state and local counterparts uh, to do that important work. Thanks for listening to this episode of Before, During, and After, a podcast from FEMA. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, 
or have ideas for future episodes, visit us at fema.gov slash podcasts.